Hi everyone, here's what's bothering me today. It has once again been a week, which means it's time for the Sunday sum up. But before we get started, I kind of have a little bit of an announcement, if you will. So right now we're on a push for 3000 subscribers and we are getting dangerously close. As of recording, we have 2,961 subscribers. And this all came from basically a bet I made with uh, someone on YouTube. I made a whole video about it. Feel free to watch that one. It's only from a few days ago. Um, but basically a while ago he said, oh yeah, I think you're going to hit 3000 by the end of November. And I said, oh, well, I think you're wrong. haha." -ha. And so he, you know, started getting a little nervous in November saying, hey, come on people. I told bothered boy he'd have 3000 subs by the end of November. Don't make a liar out of me. And I decided, well, you know what? Let's make this interesting. So I decided to offer if I could get the necessary 300 subscribers, I would donate $300 to a charity of his choosing. Well, the charity he chose is Mutual Aid Halifax, which actually does a really good job. What they do is they build tiny shelters for the homeless population there, which is kind of a good thing considering winter's pretty much here already. And then another YouTuber, Reverend Ed Trevers, decided that he would use his own money to match my donation of $300. And then two other very generous people in our respective communities decided, you know what? Count us in for $100 a piece. So now we're looking at $800 going to Halifax Mutual Aid to build tiny shelters for the homeless there. And we're only... 40 subscribers away so um please spread the word like that's literally just a single overstuffed ontario classroom so um yeah please get a classroom worth of kids to subscribe to this channel so 800 dollars in total can go to an amazing charity that is doing amazing work but with that good news out of the way let's get right into the nitty-gritty welcome to the sunday sum up everyone so as per usual, let's start internationally and then we'll slowly bring it closer to home. So how's Europe doing? Okay, not great, I see. Those were snippets of anti-COVID vaccine passport protests in the city of Rotterdam in the Netherlands. Apparently the government, because they've had to go into a variety of lockdowns, the government is now trying to pass legislation that says, oh, if you don't have uh, what amounts to a vaccine passport, then you can't get into certain places. This has caused mass protests. And as you see, a couple bonfires and police action in Rotterdam. Anyone here remember how I talked about this like over a year ago, how about when we got to this point, it wouldn't be anything good? Well, and then just a short jaunt across the North Sea there over in lovely old Britain. 
It came to my attention that Michael Gove referred a firm owned by a close political ally and Tory donor to the VIP contracts lane for providing PPE for the pandemic. The firm went on to win over £170 million in deals and increased its profits by 9,000%. Apparently, the cabinet minister's office played a role in the expedited deals awarded to a financial supporter of Gove and the Conservative Party. So, yeah, in a classic case of conservatives not practicing what they preach about corruption, badness, about personal responsibility, we have such a clear instance of, you scratch my back, I more than scratch yours. This all revolves around like a company called Meller Designs and Meller Designs has basically donated not just to Gove, but to the conservative or Tory party of Britain for a while. According to the article, the records show that Meller Designs was referred to the program by the Office of the Government Chief Commercial Officer and by the Office of the Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster, a position held by Gove from July 2019 to September 2021. The co-owner of Meller Designs, David Meller, has donated nearly £60,000 to conservative politicians in the Central Party since 2009, including £3,250 to Gove's unsuccessful leadership campaign in 2016. The Guardian has reported that Meller agreed to serve as the finance chair of Gove's short-lived party leadership campaign in 2016. I'm sure that's all totally coincidental and in no way was a power play to ensure that if Gove won the leadership, that this Meller person would have been completely rewarded during, you know, Gove's tenure as prime minister under a hypothetical scenario, right? But here's the thing, folks, it actually gets so much worse than that. Our calculations suggest that Meller Designs has won at least £171.9 million in PPE contracts during the pandemic. The company saw its profits rise by more than 9,000% during the latest accounting period from £143,000 to £13 million for the period ending December 2020. Turnover increased to £170 million, reflecting the additional PPE business in the year. Meller Designs typically specializes in supplying home and beauty products to high street retailers, including Marks and Spencer. How the hell does a high-end retailer end up winning millions of pounds in PPE contracts? That's called corruption, people. That is not the best choice. That is not the best candidate, the best deal. And you know, that's really just the free market. That is people who know people engaging in open, blatant corruption and just walking away with millions of dollars in government taxpayer money all as a reward for you know oh thanks for all those donations you made back in the day really appreciate it here's taxpayer money i really need conservatives and republicans to wake up and realize that these people are not your friends and so i guess that brings you to the next story which is again related to climate change and big business and just how terrible it is it recently came to light that governments risk trillions in fossil fuel climate litigation. Governments which enact climate legislation risk being sued for trillions of dollars by fossil fuel companies seeking compensation for lost revenue and stranded assets, according to data that campaigners warn threatened pledges made at COP26. So what I'm about to share is, in a way, like, delightfully brilliant in the most evil way possible, and it shows just how terrible the fight is going to be, and also how just ingrained big business interests are within politics, which again touches on a point that I've made before about, you know, for all the talk of we need a separation of church and state, we also need a separation of state and business, but anyway, here's the most damning part from this article that shows what we can look forward to if we try and meaningfully shift away from fossil fuels. 
Trade agreements such as the Energy Charter Treaty and NAFTA contain investor arbitration clauses known as Investor State Dispute Settlement. That allows foreign companies to sue governments over actions they say hit profits or investments. Campaigners say that energy companies are increasingly turning to this type of arbitration to recoup investments as governments accelerate the shift away from fossil fuels. So in all these lovely deals we've made in the interest of free trade and the free market, it also opens up governments to litigation and lawsuits by scumfuck wealthy companies in the fossil fuel industry so that they can say, oh, well, no, see, you cancel it. So now we're going to sue you for all this money because that's a stranded asset. And we need to take care of our shareholders. You know what I mean? And the government just sits there like, yeah, okay, understandable. Here's a billion dollars in taxpayer money. It is such ridiculous pillaging. And yet there's there's people defending these companies in this system still. This means that basically if any of like the really big polluters, especially in the West, want to meaningfully address and tackle climate change and put caps on, you know, the fuel industry and the oil and gas lobby and all this stuff, that means we are going to absolutely, it's not, you know, a question of if or maybe, we're absolutely going to be sued to the tune of billions of dollars for collectively around the world, trillions of dollars that will just be, again, hoarded by the wealthy. It is their final fuck you to us in the planet of if you actually meaningfully try and save the planet, we're just going to take even more money from you. It is so ridiculous. I need everyone to start really protesting at these company headquarters and like refusing to let them leave until they stop being the most evil people on the planet, which I guess that means we need to start talking about climate change for a little bit. Oh boy, climate change, it's not like that's a topic that I've done to death on this channel already. Now this one is actually, thankfully, a little funny, but again, for like really terrible dystopian reasons. Just watch the clip. So that is a car leaving a parking garage and driving through a large flooded portion of a street before finally coming out onto dry land. A sign of things to come in much of low-lying coastal America and other coastal communities around the world. The funny part about that is that that was outside the LSC Miami condo where units are starting at just $2.7 million. That is just Mwah. Hi, thanks for spending millions of dollars on this condo. Here's your flooded parking garage and street. Welcome to Florida. <laughs> this is the future that awaits people. And, you know, there's kind of a delicious irony in that, you know what I mean? Of, oh, hey, you just spent literal millions of dollars to live on a flooded street and it's not Venice. Interesting. These are such strange times.
But hey, don't worry. America and many other nations totally have a great grip on the whole climate crisis, right? Like they were at COP26 and, and there's the whole Build Back Better legislation or bill or whatever it is, right? How's that going? So it turns out that as of recording, $285 billion tax cut for the rich is now the second most expensive piece of Build Back Better. What started as a really good idea to try and help Americans in the wake of a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic and uh, to try and, you know, also put in some much-needed infrastructure and progress as America recovers, you know, like overall really good idea at the core of it right in terms of execution however absolutely pathetic constantly cut back and destroyed and chipped away at and even the stupid notion of oh well we gotta try you know to have a bipartisanship with the republicans even though they would never do the same and now the second most expensive part of all of this is basically just a casual handing over of 285 billion dollars to the wealthy in America. Because they really need it, right? When is enough going to be enough for America? I swear to God. Like, everything, you know, to appeal right-wing Democrats, so much stuff has been cut from the Build Back Better infrastructure bill. And so there's almost nothing left of substance. And instead, the big part that, you know, people can agree on is just yet another handing over of billions of dollars to the wealthy who absolutely don't need it, while Americans continue to suffer. Like, what the actual hell is wrong with America? Which means we finally get to bring it back home here to the great white north, good old Canada. Still staying roughly on the subject of climate change, CBC Politics recently issued this article. Staying put to save the planet, how remote work might help Canada cut emissions. Okay, listen up, jackasses. It is not on the average individual to cut back the massive emissions that are made by our most terrible industries, most notably the oil and gas industry. This is once again a case of the media trying to put it on the individual rather than the large systemic problems and the issue of overconsumption and capitalism and the you know permanent growth mindset that is resulting in these emissions and the polluting of the planet and the death of ecosystems. Which, as one person very rightfully pointed out in the comments section, how about we start with putting restrictions on the 1%'s flight habits? Because yeah, 1% of people cause half of global aviation emissions. Most people, in fact, never fly. The notion that most people fly is contradicted by new research, which also argues that a global elite of 1% generates half of the global carbon emissions from aviation. And yeah, we kind of touched on that a little bit like a week or two ago. And we we're talking about the hypocritical Prince Charles there saying, oh, we all need to do our part. And there he is basically causing over 18 times the annual like gross carbon emissions of your average Brit. And he was doing that in 11 days. This is why eating the rich is actually a mercy on the planet. So, you know, the whole, oh, why don't we work from home? Great. Let's actually like literally isolate the rich not like you know imprison them because that's wrong and bad but maybe if we just like force them to stay put maybe also cut off their internet access and their phones so they can't call and like corrupt other people and arrange shady business deals with terrible you know mercenary armies and stuff like that maybe then the world would actually start to become a better place just a thought 
But seriously, the audacity of CBC trying to spin this as, well, you know, maybe if people stayed home, we'd actually, you know, uh, maybe we could significantly cut emissions. And sure, emissions would drop because then less people would be, you know, using their cars. But then why not actually talk about the radical societal shift necessary to actually invest in public transit? And maybe we don't need to fly everywhere when we can, you know, easily use electric trains, like electric high-speed trains to do that for certain short haul flights obviously you can't do that internationally but does someone really need to fly from say toronto to montreal when it takes a similar amount of time if we had an actual high speed train like hello but no that would mean having an actual in-depth conversation and say things that big business donors would not like or approve of and so we can't have that in corporate owned media and yes, I know the CBC is a public broadcaster, and so they're technically not sponsored by anyone, except for the government, which is very much, you know, owned and influenced by big business interests who say what you can and can't support. That's the problem with living in a petrostate. And so again, I guess, you know, we can't talk about climate change in Canada without also talking about what's been happening in BC with the terrible floods that are going on there. But I've already covered a lot of that and I don't want to just reinforce like all the bad stuff. Like, you know, I've already been bothered by that. I'm bothered by, again, some latest developments with regards to actions taken in BC, which are so just perfectly summed up in this video. Of your actions. And you realize you are making it work. Your people are in need down south. Your we got assault rifles beneath here. So what in the hell are you even doing here? You are needed down south. What the hell are you doing here? Amen, my guy. Those are heavily armed RCMP officers clearing a rail blockade in Gixon territory. I'm probably butchering that name. Again, apologies. Whoever knows the correct pronunciation, please correct me down below. That rail blockade was set up in solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en who continue to oppose the coastal gasoline project. See like various other videos that I've done for that, including one earlier this week. But again, that, you know, the whole Wet'suwet'en crisis recently, you know, went into even more of the spotlight because they destroyed a service road and the RCMP were flown in, like dozens of RCMP were flown in to break up the blockade and like arrest a bunch of people. And again, that was on the heels of the massive, terrible flooding from climate change, all while the BC NDP government of John Horgan continues to say, you know what? Oil and gas is good, as is just clear-cut logging. This is what we believe in. The supposedly, you know, we believe in climate change and solving the climate crisis, BC NDP government. Such environmentalism, very wow. And here we see the RCMP, instead of helping the thousands of people displaced by flooding and in need of support and help right now, including other communities at risk, the RCMP are instead gallivanting around indigenous land like the proud, unfortunate tradition it is for these red-coated jackasses. Which again, as the indigenous man says, they're needed down south. Why are you up there? This is so ridiculous and absurd. And then you want to know what's also really damning about all this from BC? With all that I've talked about, BC Premier John Horgan had the audacity to get up on a podium and say some pretty ridiculous things, which, as the Vancouver Sun points out in their article headline, couldn't have imagined it six months ago, says Horgan, but scientists have been issuing climate warnings for decades. 
A 2018 audit found the government had not comprehensively assessed the risks posed by climate change and didn't have a plan to move forward. Are you kidding me? Couldn't have imagined it six months ago. Bro, literally four months ago, half the province was on goddamn fire and there was a massive heat dome that was causing death. And this is after, again, numerous reports by scientists saying, hey, this is going to get worse and, um, you know, it's only accelerating. Here's all the reports and the data to back this up, including, you know, year after year. Oh boy, record heat. Huh, you know, it's almost like there's a new record heat level every month or something. This is weird. I wonder if there's a correlation. This has been going on for years rather decades actually but in terms of what people can remember this has been happening for years and it's been reported on in the admittedly biased news and here we have just evidence that the government was like huh you know uh we didn't really have a plan to move forward with this stuff we kind of just assumed things would be fine these are supposedly our leaders who are supposed to be great people and great planners and visionaries who can see into the future and plan for, you know, the different eventualities in order to protect the people and, you know, the investments and the security of the capitalist network. Apparently not. These people have done, apparently, next to no goddamn work on the file, which, you know, it explains so much, but that also shows how absolutely boned we are. Governments aren't going to do anything. They haven't done anything. They don't even know what they're doing. All the more reason for us to actually get our act together and begin a grassroots movement to start reinforcing and solidifying and securing our communities because our governments aren't going to do it. We have to do this. Like, this isn't a question of, oh, we, we all can do it if we just try. It's not like that. It's like, for our own good, we have to start doing this stuff yesterday but absolutely unreal that the government has known for decades and been warned by scientists and committees and reports, and they still apparently did not accurately assess the risks, nor did they put in place any plans. What are these idiots doing? Speaking of idiots, it's time to talk about Ontario. The following is a video from the Ontario legislature featuring MPP Suze Morrison taking the government of Ontario to task while also rightly calling out liberal inaction for the 13 years that they had in power. What I want people to focus on is, you know, there's her fire statement, so good for that. But what I want people to focus on is uh, Fullerton's response. <laughs> $100 a month that was a temporary increase to ODSP and OW during COVID, a temporary increase, is not a permanent increase to social assistance rates that are going to allow people long-term to afford the cost of food in our community. Speaker, it's not news that social assistance rates have been criminally low in this province for decades. Let's not forget it was a former Conservative Premier, Mike Harris, that slashed social assistance rates in half in the mid-90s. Speaker, my family lived on social assistance in the mid-90s. I remember those cuts and it was devastating. I knew hunger as a child because of the former Conservative government and things have not gotten better for constituents like Callie in my community because the 15 years that the Liberals had after them, they did nothing. They sat on their hands, they did not raise the rates, the rates, and they let constituents like Cali continue to suffer. So my question back to the Premier is yes or no, will you permanently increase the rates of OW and ODSP today so that constituents like Cali can afford to eat? Mr. Children, committee and
Thank you. Thank you, Speaker. And again, this is such an important area, and that's why our government is supporting our most vulnerable populations. And, and in fact, if we look at not only the billion dollars with the SSRF, but the increase that when we, when we first started, uh, the, we have looked at the food security issue, um, the food bank support, uh, $750,000, which we, um, million dollars, which we, uh, sorry, $750 million, which we upped to $1 billion. And we acknowledge that the previous government didn't do what it needed to do. And that's why this government is. $8 million in funding for Feed Ontario, uh, distributing prepackaged hampers to support the really important work that our food banks do and the, and the volunteers there. And I, I really want to thank them as well. This is a, the student uh, nutrition programs across the province have seen increased funding so that they can continue to deliver critical services for children. We are responding to the pandemic. We are responding to the neglect by Thoughts? the previous government over many years, as, as you have mentioned, and we will continue to get the vital social services to our most vulnerable populations, as we have been doing, and we will continue to do that. This lady is in charge of things, and she doesn't understand how food banks work. Oh, well, you know, we're not really going to up the thing for ODSB because, you know, look, people have access to food banks. Food banks are a symptom, not a solution. They are an emergency thing that have to come up because government has spectacularly failed to meet the needs of the people it claims to support and represent. And a food bank is not like going grocery shopping and buying what you need, especially if you are potentially disabled or have food allergies or are lactose intolerant. Food banks rely on donations and they basically have to ration out what they get based on the generosity of your average citizen. It is not something that is organized to actually meaningfully take care of the needs of the people at large, hence why grocery stores exist. One doesn't go shopping at a food bank. One is forced to use a food bank because they do not make enough money to afford regular groceries to sustain them and their families because ODSP is basically forcing people into poverty. Again, see various videos on that. This lady is a minister. She makes, at minimum, a six-figure income, never mind gifts and donations and no doubt other corrupt stuff that happens on the side. And here she is, showing a fundamental misunderstanding of food banks and this kind of casual disregard for like, well, come on, we don't need to give more to people on ODSB, even though ODSB is like $1,400 a month, not even actually, depending on what you qualify for. And it's not like Ontario is getting increasingly expensive. Look, they can just go to a food bank, right? That's totally fine. Please do not let this woman have any job in politics. I know it's like a little late right now, but please, in the upcoming election, can we please just get rid of her? It is just so infuriating to see a sitting politician in the provincial legislature, someone with a position of power who could theoretically know better and do better, and this is what they give us. Unreal. And then finally, also from here in Ontario, the infuriating, final disgusting cherry on top of this just infuriating and atrocious week is the following story. Indigenous-led project to house homeless people torched in London. So apparently in London, Ontario, there is a city-owned golf course, and on that golf course was a clubhouse. And a local Indigenous company named Atlosa Family Healing Services, which is an organization that was making plans to turn that clubhouse into a temporary shelter for 30 people so they'd have a place to stay over the winter, that place was torched. 
The city was amenable to this. The organization was really happy about it. Things were going well. And then it was torched. And you want to know who did it? London police charged Michael Peter Belanger, an employee with the city, with arson. The city says he has been suspended with pay. Belanger is listed as an owner of a nearby home that was recently up for sale at a price of $1.6 million, according to a report by the CBC. I am beyond bothered by this. I am goddamn infuriated. This is so incredibly fucked up that a guy who recently has his home listed for $1.6 million decides, Oh no, but my property values, if homeless people, especially their indigenous, are by, Oh no, gotta protect my investment. I am gonna let, and I found out about this because I work at the city. I'm gonna torch this place because fuck the poor. Fuck the homeless! Fuck you, my dude! Also, fuck the city for suspending this guy with pay. I think the worth and the value of his home should be more than enough to, you know, get him through the hard months ahead as he tries to find a new goddamn job, which, you know, that would be ideal. But no, instead you've just suspended him instead of firing him. Because, you know, yeah, I get it. Okay, everyone deserves their day in court. He's been charged with arson. Well, does he actually do it? I don't know. Either way, this is just so infuriating. I'm not sure there's entirely a theme here, but there's definitely a good handful of stories of wealthy fucks doing terrible things. And those in positions of power abusing their power and not actually taking care of the planet that they all live on. If there's any theme here, it is the casual cruelty of the ruling class, which is all the more reason why we need to start organizing ourselves and actually begin a true movement to, you know, Save the planet, save our communities, build grassroots power and investment, and actually move that forward. Because we sure as hell are not going to see it from the people at the top, whether they're in, you know, big business or in big government. They all work together. They all shake hands and rub elbows with each other. This is what they do. They are all part of the neoliberal order that actually rules the planet and is ruining the planet. And yet there are still people defending these assholes and for objectively terrible, god-awful reasons. And here we are having to continue to suffer this week after week with story after story like this that should infuriate all of us, and we just keep getting more and more evidence that these people do not care. When is enough going to be enough for us? And we finally rise up and say, you know what? No, like you are literally barred from any position of power ever again. Between torching a potential temporary homeless shelter and, you know, suing governments for, oh no, you're hurting my investments, to not spending money to actually adequately prepare for the climate crisis and spending money to send RCMP to places where they are not needed and not understanding the suffering of the lowest in society while holding a position of power that they unfortunately have to rely on and you are not doing your job, Ms. Fullerton. The story with Michael Gove and just open corruption, like, it is so clear that these people do not care about us. The casual cruelty from these people knows no bounds and it is deeply upsetting, if not outright terrifying, and it is absolutely what's bothering me today.